If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. We're continuing a series we started last week. We called it Dynamic Declarations. Dynamic Declarations. It's within the context of prayer. You know, prayer is just not one tool in the bag. There's many different types of prayer. And it's important for us to understand the differences in prayer because some people say, I'm praying. Well, what type of prayer are you using? If you don't understand that, then it's kind of like you're saying, I'm building, I'm building this. Well, what tool are you using? I only have one tool. You only have one tool. There's more than one tool to build that house. You need more tools. Because if you've ever done any job, construction, electronic, computers, you all, everybody knows that the right tools makes all the difference. And sometimes if we don't understand, we only think of prayer as maybe when we repent or when we're asking for something, but there's different types of prayer. There's prayer of agreement, prayer of faith. And so there's a different type of prayer that James is talking about here. And it's important for us to understand this because we see the benefit and the results of it here. Okay, I gave you enough time. You should be there by now. If you're not, just look up in the index or look at the screen or do what a lot of people do. Just fold the Bible over, put your finger in there and act like you got it. You're just following along. And all the old-timers said amen to that. James chapter 5, Amplified Classic Translation, it'll be on the screen also. It says, the earnest, the heartfelt, the continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Joe, I'm getting a lot of echo where I'm at. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. We started last week referring to that phrase, dynamic in its working. God wants you to know that your prayer is supposed to be and can be at the potential of it. And if it's not there yet, don't feel bad. We're all growing. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm growing. But the, the reality is that our prayer should and has the ability to contain power. Tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. And we emphasize that the dynamic of its working, meaning that when we pray, we unleash God's power to do what only God can do. One of the hindrances in our prayer life is when we say a prayer and then we think that means that's our green light to now try to solve the prayer. And we'll carry weight in our Christian walk, and I know we've all been there from time to time, maybe you're there today, where we're carrying the burden, the weight of a problem that needs to be resolved. We've prayed about it, and now we're trying to fix it. And there's a power source of our faith comes into the context when we get to the place of realizing that we cannot fix it in our own ability. Abraham was fully persuaded, although he considered, King James said he considered not, other translations said he looked at, considered, but realized that there was no way that his own body, he could not, he could not, he could not fulfill what God had said to him within his own ability. His body was way too old, and her womb had never uh, activated. It was, she, she had never had children besides being too old. She had never had any success in there. And so if he looked at his wife and looked at himself, there was no way for them to fix it in their own ability. Right. And there's times in our life that you might be praying against, praying for something that in the natural, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. But when we, get alert, when we begin to activate and understand the power of prayer and the process of prayer, we can begin to activate the power of God and let the power of God do the working. Amen. When the power of God does the working, guess what that means? You're not doing the working. Right. 
Hebrews 4 refers to it rest. Strive to enter into that rest. The place of faith where you have come to a place like Abraham who was fully persuaded that the God who made the promise was well able. Man, that's not always an easy place to be. Because our natural mind, our natural desire is we don't want to be patient. We don't want to wait. We don't want to let God do it. We want to get in there and do it ourselves. And the devil's sure to accommodate ideas to our, our imagination of, well, you need to do this. And you'll call people, manipulate people, and pressure people, and you'll get people to feel sorry for you, and you'll get people under pressure themselves trying to help you. Well, oh, I, I really need it. If you're a Christian, you should do this too. You should help me. Has anybody ever called you? And usually it's people that don't even go to church and says, oh, I, I, I need some money to pay rent this month. And I heard you got a raise. Isn't that amazing? You start telling everybody all that God's doing, and now they're going to try to use you. And you're like, well, I don't know if I need to do that. Well, if you're Christian, you know, Christians are supposed to help, and I have a need. They didn't tell you they just lost all their money, rent money, at the gambling boat the night before. They never talk about that. They just say, you're a Christian. you got to raise. You have it, so you owe me. And so we jokingly tell, if anybody ever does that, especially if they're not even a Christian, which makes it always interesting to me, and they'll say, well, they'll start quoting the Bible, and they're, I mean, the devil will quote the Bible, I guess so some of his people can too. And so they'll quote the Bible and give you, oh, well, you know what, you need to give to me. You're supposed to help the poor, and I don't have anything. I just encourage you to say, just a minute, close your eyes for a second. They're going, what are you doing? I'm asking Jesus right now. Now, he says, I shouldn't give it to you. <laughs> you don't have to feel pressured to do what people are asking, and we don't need to put pressure on people to get them to do what we want. Why? Because what happens is that's not faith. Faith without works is dead, not faith without hints is dead. I didn't come up with that, so if you thought I did, that's don't. But that's just the reality of us it, Carrying the burden, carrying the weight. And Jesus said, listen, if, you're heavy, if you have a heavy burden, come to me. My burden and my yoke is easy and it's light. Amen. Let me take the weight off your shoulders to do what you can't do. Yeah. And begin to trust me and let me do what only I can do. Can I get an amen? amen. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power dynamic in its prayer. Today I want to focus, and we're just kind of backing up through this verse. We start at the end. We're going to work our way through in reverse. I want to emphasize this two words here in this is righteous man. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man. And we can obviously interchange that to a righteous person. So the, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Now, it goes on in the next verse, and I want to verse 17 to tag to this. And it says, Elijah, I love Elijah. Growing up, Eli the stories of Elijah and Elisha were my favorite. Elijah was a human being. With a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain, or rain did not fall on the earth for three years and six months. Now I want to draw the attention to the connection. Notice it said here, Elijah was a human being. He, was a, he had a nature. He was a natural man. So he, look, look to your neighbor. Just like them. We have a tendency of over-spiritualizing and over-glorifying the humanity side of these stories of what happened. And we'll begin to think that these people just walked on cloud nine. And what James is trying to draw attention to 
in this situation is that, listen, Elijah wasn't like super special, although he was very anointed, so don't misunderstand me. But he was still a man. He was still a, a person. He was still a human. And if you ever want to know where you rank in all that, Jesus said that of all the, all the prophets, of all the men and prophets born of women, John the Baptist was the greatest. And then he goes on to say, and the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Stay with me. So what is he telling you? In the new kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in the new covenant, in the New Testament, someone just, just got saved outweighs, outranks those who are in the Old Testament. Yeah. Oh, well, that was Elijah. I know, he was working under the Old Testament. You're under the New Testament. Can I get an amen? Can I get a better amen? So Elijah was a human being. So Elijah was natural. He was a natural man. But yet before, James tells us that the, one of the key elements to activating God's power in our prayer is for us to be a righteous man. But then he begins to give us an example, and he says, but Elijah, and the first thing he draws attention to is Elijah is a natural man. But your emphasis earlier, James, is that he needs to be a righteous man. So why are you giving me an example of a natural man if you want me to understand the principle of a righteous man? And this is a key element, because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, one of the tricks, and Paul tells us we're not, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, one of the tricks of the enemy when you pray, when you go to do anything, is to get you to evaluate yourself in light and weight of your righteousness. Oh, you don't deserve that. Oh, you're not that good. Oh, remember when you, yeah, you haven't been living perfectly. Remember when you got mad on the highway yesterday? Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not saying you can live in sin. Uh, Romans 6 is very specific. Do we allow our freedom from sin, allow us to go back and live in sin? And Paul says, God forbid. Because whoever you yield or submit to, that's who you subject yourself to. But I want to draw attention to something very interesting because we're seeing here, he says, now look at Elijah. Here's an example. A, a man who prayed... And he prayed earnestly, and it stopped raining. Man, wouldn't you like to have that power? He must be something special. No, he draws immediate attention that he was a natural man. He wasn't a superhuman person, although he had supernatural power. How can this be? How can there be both the natural and the supernatural? The power of your prayer, if you're taking notes, write this down. The power of my prayer is not based on my natural position, but on my supernatural position. Let me say that again. The power of my prayer is not based on my natural position, but on my supernatural position. Why? Because when you pray, the devil will try to get you to look, evaluate, and remind you of you. Doesn't he do that? Has he ever told you, reminded you of you? It's like you don't already know you. You were there. When you said that, you were there when you got angry. You were there when you had to repent. 
but he'll remind you even after you repented and God's forgiven you, 1 John 1, 9, even after he's repented, he tries to bring this mindset on you. And Romans 8 calls it condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Why? Because condemnation is you're not so good. You're not as good as that Christian. You're not as good as that person. You're not as good. Oh, you, you, got, you got your own hang-ups and hiccups and mess-ups and problems and issues. Welcome to the party. Because there's only one person that is perfect, and that is, don't you love that name? The tactic of the devil is to get us to look at our natural position and not our supernatural position. And again, don't go to the extreme. I'm not saying you can live any way you want. It's all okay. No, I'm talking about the tactic of the enemy when even after you have repented, he'll remind you of your past mistakes. And, and the point is, are you listening? The point is not to get you to see your past mistakes. Listen to me. The point is to get you to turn your eyes away from Jesus to yourself. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ, the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So the, the key for the enemy to hinder your prayer is to get you to evaluate you. Because if I can get you to evaluate you, even if you don't find something terrible, I've taken your focus off Jesus, I've taken your focus off the Word, and he's got you looking at yourself. See, it's not about me. Doesn't it say in the Bible, I no longer live, but the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. What is he saying? It's not about me. I'm dead to myself. It doesn't mean that you're not aware. It means that you choose not to evaluate you in the context of your righteousness. My righteousness, now again, if you're out there committing adultery, don't give me the, well, I'm, I'm just keeping my eyes, on, my eyes on Jesus. No, your eyes are on the wrong thing and it's not Jesus. All right, so we're working with the context, you're living for the Lord, your heart's right with God. If you're out there killing people on Friday nights, don't be talking about raising your hands on Sunday and wanting to prophesy. Just, I'm just telling you, we have other issues to deal with. But within the context, you're, you're living for the Lord. The key element is not to get yourself or allow yourself to begin to look to yourself, but begin to... Go back to the word. You are the righteousness of God. Don't look to yourself as a trick of the enemy. Abraham considered not his, his own body, Romans 4. Did not consider. He didn't go through and say, let me see how I'm going to make it happen. Have you ever had a scripture come alive to you? Maybe it's a verse on blessing and how God wants to bless you. And if you, as you sow, you shall reap. And God wants you to be the head and not the tail. Above always and never be beneath. Mark 10, that you'll receive a hundredfold in this life. All, you can go through, there's a lot of scriptures. And all of a sudden, as you're going through there, the devil wants you to begin to look at your checkbook. Oh, you're calling yourself blessed. Why don't you look at the balance? You're saying you're blessed. Why don't you look at that balance? You're saying you're healed. Why don't you look at that doctor's report? Why don't you look to that injury and see if you're really healed? Why don't you, why don't you have that conversation with your spouse? You're saying you have a great marriage and you, you're believing God to heal it. Why don't, why don't you look at that marriage? What is he doing? He's trying to get you to, and I love Christians. And they'll say, oh, I'm just saying the truth. Well, no, what you're saying is the fact that is temporary and is subject to change. 
Because truth is a spiritual force. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you will know my truth. And the truth will set you free. If you're speaking truth, it brings freedom, not bondage. Well, I'm just saying what I see. Well, that's facts. But that, that can change. Subject to change. King James says it's temporal. As we look at the things that are eternal, not the things that are ter- temporal, for the things that are temporal will change, but the things that are eternal will last forever. Amen. So we need to begin to refocus when we pray to, imp- to activate God's power. One of the things we need to do is when we're praying, in the process of prayer, after we've prayed, through the journey of receiving, because it's not always immediate, although I would love to, for it to be immediate, the Hebrews 6.12 tells us that we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. So in the process of faith, we have to keep reevaluating and making sure we keep our focus on him and not us when the enemy begins to tell us to reevaluate ourselves. Well, you know, maybe it would happen faster if you were a nicer person. See, the goal is to get you into the merit system of you. You're not purchasing it with you. You're, you're, you're purchasing it with the context of faith. Reset your focus from your achievements to his achievements. Let me bring a context here. Let me read Romans 4 again. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants is that he would be heir of the world was not through observing of the requirements of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What is he saying? You're receiving what God has for you through faith, but the context of faith is in the context of righteousness. Why? Because if you don't believe and understand who you are in Christ, the devil will talk you out of receiving. On the doorstep of your victory will be the greatest opportunity to compromise, and the devil will try to get you to say, it will never happen for me. How many times have we come right up to the miracle we've been praying for, right up inches away from that happening? We don't see it yet because we haven't got to that moment yet, but it's right there, and the enemy knows it's right there. And so right there at the beginning, right when you're about to step through that door, right when you're about to see that miracle, right when you're about to experience God do the impossible, right when all that you've been believing for is about to happen, the devil will try to convince you that it won't happen. And at that point, he'll get you to reevaluate and begin out of your own mouth to curse the scenario and say, oh, I guess God will never heal me. Healing doesn't work for me. God will never bless me. Maybe that's for other people. And we'll change our language. And Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. James says, you direct the ship, you direct the horse by these little things, but that's the power of the word. It sends the direction. And you get so close and you turn. The devil didn't make you turn. He can't make you turn. God didn't make you turn. I want you to understand that God is given you the the power and the ability to choose and because you have the ability to choose you're the one directing your ship oh um, Jesus take the wheel Jesus doesn't want the wheel you he created you to have the wheel in the car of your life even though it sounds spiritual and sounds good what it is what it is it is a cop-out to say I don't have to be responsible for my life it's in Jesus hands and Jesus said no I'm in heaven at the right hand of the father and I've committed and given you the authority Matthew 18 18 that what you bind and what you lose are you listening to me and so we'll get all the way to the this point and the devil will convince us it won't and we'll redirect ourselves or better yet I love this tactic that the devil tries to use against us and when you understand his tactics, you'll be more aware when it happens. He'll try to get you to 
offset, offshoot to a different detour, you might, will, might say, a detour path that's not the will of the Father. Right. He did that to Jesus. Temptation, temptation, temptation. And Jesus always responded with speaking the word, speaking the word. And then he said, let me show you something. And he showed him all the glory of the kingdom of the world and said, listen, I'll give it to you if you do it my way. Worship me. Yeah. What was it? I'm going to give you a detour path that looks like the end result of what the Father's plan is without the price of what the Father's asking. Right. How many times we'll get, we're, we're just following the path and we're like, it's taking a little longer. The devil says, well, I'll show you a quicker route. I'll show you how to become successful. I'll show you how to become blessed. You don't need to do what the, the Bible says. I'll show you how to. But all of a sudden, we follow the devil's way, and we wake up one day, and it looks like we have what God said, but it's without God. And without God, you can't carry the weight of what God wanted and have for you. See, God wants you so blessed that the Bible says he, he has blessed you. He has given you the power to get wealth, and he's added no sorrow to it. You get, you get the worldly wealth without God. You carry a weight of sorrow that you don't, you're like, oh, because all of a sudden, you thought you couldn't get there. Once you do get there, the devil says you can't keep it and now you're trying to protect everybody from being kidnapped you got 20 bodyguards every place because you're afraid someone's going to steal it from you and you are stressing out and can't sleep at night why because you're doing the world's way and not god's way when you do it god's way he who brought you here the bible says is well able to keep you there that means you can sleep good at night knowing lord you brought me to this place you brought me to this success you brought me this this victory you gave me this healing why am i worried about losing a healing when you gave it to me if you gave it to me you can keep it in my body the reason people lose a healing is not because God or because uh, the devil it's the devil whispers it won't last and they say I guess it, it didn't last and they redirected their ship but if he brought it to you don't you think he's well able to keep you there let him do the work what a powerful thing you don't have to earn your salvation let, he's already done it and all of a sudden, we'll get to a miracle. Maybe you're believing for a car. Father, I'm going to believe I need a new car. I believe I receive a car. You're praying, Mark 11. You, you are believing, you receive. You're praying. You've got your verses. You're sowing. You're doing what God shows you to do. You're going through the process. And you get right here. And all of a sudden, somebody at work says, hey, i got a used car I'm looking to sell. It's pretty cheap. You interested? And if we don't know any better, you know what we'll do? That must be God. How did they know that I needed a car? I've been praying for a car for six months. They walked right to me. How do they know? And you spend that money on that car, and that thing is nothing but a money pit. And you, what do you do? You blame God. Look at the car God gave me. Because you tell everybody, look at the car. God answered my prayer. He gave me this. And now you're paying more than. Right. What's even worse is that you're praying for a spouse. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and you get so close. God's bringing that miracle to you. He's, he's going to connect you to the right person. And all of a sudden, three people show up. <laughs> you haven't had three people ask you out in your whole life. <laughs> it must be God. Or someone asks you out, and you're like, it's been a long time since someone asked me out. It must be God. How do they know I'm praying to get married? Well, it might not be God. Come on, somebody. We'll leave that for a moment. It might not. 
Just because they show up doesn't mean they came from, okay, well. Mm. We better stop there. Help me, Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, there's a story. If you've been in church, you probably have heard this many times in context. The Bible refers and identifies this person, interestingly enough, as the woman with the issue of blood. Can you imagine being identified, not by your name? You know I mean? When you get to heaven, don't you want to kind of look some of these people up? Right? I want to go find David. I want to go find Elijah. I want to see what they look like, right? I want to go find Moses. Because in my mind, I've said this before, I see Moses kind of like Charlton Heston. You know what I mean? Back in the Ten Commandments. Moses, let my people go. See, if, if Moses, if I get to heaven and he's real soft, passive, and high-pitched, it's going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to be like, they totally messed up the movie. Because I see, I see Moses as Mo, right? David. Can you imagine saying, oh, I want to work, talk to this person who, who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and got healed. What's, what's her name? I don't know her name. No one knows her name. We'll get to heaven. We'll have to ask her by her former issue. Come on, somebody. Who are you? I'm the woman with the issue of blood. She's famous, but no one knows her name. Forever known. How many times have we got, gotten in a place of life where we're not known by who we are, we're known by what we've dealt with? Oh, that's a person that's been divorced so many times. That's a person that's been battered or sexually abused. We'll identify ourselves by our experiences. And we'll allow the labels of other people that they have told us to identify who we are. Since when do we allow, or should, since when should we allow people and what they say to, to define for us who we are and label us? Why do we allow the words of man, even our own words sometimes, to label ourselves instead of allowing what God is saying about us to identify us? And so here, here's this woman with the issue of blood, and she had spent all her money and with doctors and got, was no longer any, no improvement, not better. God bless doctors in the medical field, but they can only do what they can do. We love doctors. And so she heard that Jesus was coming, and she said within herself, and one translation says she kept saying within herself as she began to approach him, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Sometimes we miss out on our American mentality and our English translations, what's actually happening within the context of the moment. She said within herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And the Bible says that she began to press in through the crowd. Now, under that culture, she was not supposed to even be near the general public, lest touch him. So she was touching, pushing, getting through, and she touched the hem of his garment. And he stopped in the journey because people were everywhere and said, who touched me? And they said, Lord, there's people everywhere. What do you mean who touched you? But he realized that virtue or healing anointing power had come out of his spirit into somebody. Somebody became a receiver of what he was containing. Oh, 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 oh. She didn't say, if I can get to him, I'm going to make myself whole. She said, if I get to him, I will be whole. Don't misunderstand the difference between being made whole and getting to him. 
The James of faith without works is dead is getting to them. It's not you doing the work to make the miracle happen. You're doing, you're doing something to get to the connection of him. Because what's on the inside of Jesus is available to you if you're, wedded, if you're ready to receive what he has for you. If I can get to him, if I touch, and so she touched the hem of his garment. Now, the, the, my, I want to back up and ask a question. Why did she think that? Why did she think that? Why in her mind would she come up with an idea that all I need to do is touch the hem of his garment? Where did she get that from? Was there a precedent? Was there a standard? Because search it in your own time. You'll find that this is not the only time this happened to Jesus. We read it and go past, oh, she just had an idea and she pursued with her own idea and God honored her action to her own idea. And that's not what is happening at all. But that's what happens in the church world. And many people do what they want to do with the idea that they came up with and they want God to put his hand of blessing on what they're doing and they can't figure out why it didn't work. And the key is there's something more sub-level here that we're missing out. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It says, but for those who fear or reverence his name, the son of righteousness, the son of who? The son of righteousness. Now stay with me, stay with me. We're going to close up here. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves out of the pasture. The son of righteousness, which they understood was a pointer to the, the Messiah, the Christ. The Messiah would rise, and when he shows up, when he's revealed, he would have healing in his wings. Now, when I first read that, I think of wings like a bird. That's, that's what's being said. In the Hebrew, it's the same word, the same meaning as they did in the New Testament when they used the word him. In that, in this clothing culturally you have to understand that Jesus had and the, the, the rabbis would wear this like, like a shawl that would be around their shoulders and when they would go to pray have you remembered the verse where Jesus said when you go into your closet to pray what they would do is they would lift it over their head they didn't go to a physical room it was a separation and that what they were bringing over their head was their prayer shawl that was referred to as righteousness he is the canopy the Bible says. They would bring it over their head and they would begin to, to pray. It was between them and God. They were separating themselves what they saw in the natural so they could focus on what God was doing in the supernatural. And they covered themselves with righteousness. And on the end of this, the corners, there would be these strings and these strings would have knots. And these knots would represent the commandments of the law. And under Deuteronomy 28, if you obey the law, these good things would happen. But if you disobeyed what God said, disobeyed his word, then you were under the curse. And the law was not given to perfect. The law, the, uh, Paul gets a revelation, the law, the purpose of the law was to be a tutor, to remind and show people that in humanity they could never fulfill all the commandments in their own ability. That's why we say good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. Because everybody needs forgiveness. But if you obeyed the law, if you fulfilled the law, then you were righteous. That's why we're, we are righteous, not by our own ability. Well, I think I should get to heaven because I'm a good person. That means you think you're a righteous person by your own achievements. It won't happen. We are saved by grace through faith. Stay with me. 
So in the context of these strings, they're knots representing the law. And if you obey the law, then you have these benefits. One of them was relationship with God. Another is prosperity. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. Another one's healing. On a side note, that's why I tell people, listen, if Jesus was poor, they're misreading scripture. If Jesus was poor, then he wasn't being blessed by the Father. If he wasn't being blessed by the Father, according to Deuteronomy 8, under the old covenant, which he operated in, because he didn't say, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So he was under the covenant, the old, the old covenant. And under that old covenant, if you obeyed God, then you were blessed. And if he was not blessed, then he did not obey the commandments. And if he didn't obey the commandments, he was not righteous and a sacrificial lamb for our sins. And if he wasn't righteous and a sacrificial lamb, then our, the sacrifice that he did on the cross would not be acceptable. And if it was not acceptable, we are going to hell and not to heaven. Now, where people get messed up about prosperity is they can't define what prosperity is. And they think prosperity is greed or a Bentley. They've been watching too much Kardashian. I don't want to bust your bubble, but if you slept on a pillow last night and you have two pairs of shoes, you are in the top 8% of the world income right now. That means you're prosperous right now. Well, I don't have, yeah, that doesn't mean you have everything, but you don't, most people don't realize that America is a prosperous nation. I don't believe in prosperity. Well, then go to Ethiopia and live. Just leave me alone. You don't believe in prosperity, but you work 40 or 50 hours. I don't believe in healing. Then why are you taking medicine and going to a doctor? All right, give me back on track, Jesus. Help me, help me, help me. Okay. Knots. And so in the knots, if you, the knots represent the laws or commandments of God. If you obeyed them, then you had the benefits. So what's happening here is, so therefore you're righteous, right? That, the canopy, you're righteous. So what she was saying, because she understood the prophecy that when the Messiah, the Christ comes, there would be healing. So she had reverence knowing that he is the Messiah. I'm identifying him as the Christ. All I need to do now, because I recognize him as the Messiah, if I can touch, connect with his obedience. See, what's happening is we try to connect with God with our obedience. And I'm not saying you can do anything. No, no, no. Faith without works is dead. But you have to understand the purchased possession that belongs to us through salvation is not based on you. It's based on him. You are healed because of him. You are saved because of him. You are forgiven because of him. You are delivered because of him. All you got to do is make your way to make a connection to the Christ, the Messiah. And there's healing in his wings. There's healing. Get a hold of that connection. And when she did, she was able to withdraw what belonged to him it did not belong to her it belonged to him it was in him it was his he earned it it was his right he's purchased it that's why you're righteous that's why you're right with God not because you earned it you received what belonged to him and he said come unto me connect to me without me you can do nothing but with me Hallelujah. The devil will try to get you when you pray, to get you to evaluate you, get you out of the picture. It's not about you. You are in covenant with God. And when God made a covenant, he didn't make it with you. He made it with himself 
and his son. He made it within himself. It was an example used with Abraham. And he put Abraham to sleep and he cut the blood and he cut the covenant and he walked through the blood and he began to speak. What was he doing? He knew if he put it on the burn of humanity, humanity could break the covenant. And so what did he do? His own arm, the Bible says. He looked throughout the earth and found nobody that could bring salvation. So with his own arm, he brought salvation. He sent his son into the earth. He sent his son into the earth. He sent his son and he took your place and purchased it all for you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I got to get my eyes off me. I got to get my eyes on Jesus. Wait a minute. That's in the Bible. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Isaiah tells us to put on cl the clothes of Christ. Put on the clothes. We, we, can, we, we can look in the mirror and say, wait a minute. That's a nice jacket I'm wearing. You begin to look into the mirror of the word and say, wait a minute. I'm the healed of the Lord. Wait a minute. Why? Well, look at your doctor's report. No, I'm not looking at me. I'm looking what belongs to him. All I need to do is simply trust and obey. So when I begin to pray, I don't pray on what I can do. I don't pray what is possible. I don't pray what is probable. I don't pray on what I've done in the past. I pray according to the alignment of that word. And begin to say, Lord, I begin to see who you are. He saw who he is. If you don't know who he is, until you get a revelation that he's your savior, you cannot get saved. You can go to church every day, give money, you can do the whole thing. But until you get that revelation that he's the savior and that you need salvation, that's when salvation happens. It is a miracle. It is a supernatural miracle. It's not joining a club of self-help, get better and look like everybody else. It is a miracle. It is a heart revelation. And that same thing goes, until you get a revelation that he is your healer. Once you get the revelation from the Word of God by the Spirit of God that He's your healer, guess what? You are now moving into the direction that if I can make that connection, as simply as I obey, it might take me a little longer than I want it. It might cause me to push through a few obstacles, but all I need to do, all I need to do is get there because He's already, He's already paid the price. He's paid the price. And Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.24, by His stripes you were healed. He did it all. Hallelujah. Romans 13, 4 says, put on Christ. I close. I recognize who he is. Talk about prayer. She recognized. Elijah recognized, and we, we'll get into this more later, that the whole idea of rain and famine wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. He connected with what God was doing and understood who God was, which impacted who he is. Mm, mm. See, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Mm. I want to do a few, I want to end every service during this series with what we're calling a dynamic declaration. Now, this might be different for you. Put it on the back burner. I don't force people to think any certain way. 
But the idea is not saying what you normally are seeing, but saying what God is saying. Do you know, well, he said that a long time ago. Yeah, but the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he said that about you 50 years ago, then he's saying it about you today. The devil will tell you, he's not saying that about you anymore. That was before you sinned, not that you sinned, even though you repented and tried to live for him. It's a different story. That's not what the Bible says. If he said about you a thousand years ago that you're the healed of the Lord, he's saying it right now. The power, the dynamic working we found last week is in the power of his word. Can I get an amen? amen? So last week we did it on healing. I want to do it on God's peace. How many people know someone that needs God's peace in, your life, in their life? We all do. I mean, with everything going on in people's mind, imagination, if you watch news long enough, it's going to... I heard one preacher saying, if you watch too much news, it's basically a self-inflicted mental health issue you're creating because we're feeding the, our minds and I don't care what channel you watch they all have their own agenda because they need to get eyeballs or people to watch and they sell fear fear is a, is a crazy marketing tool people need peace God wants us to have his peace so I want you to say this for you say I have the peace of God Say, I have God's peace. I'm going to say, I have God's peace today. Now, let me give you why. John chapter 14, verse 27 says, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Say, I have God's peace. I have God's peace. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Say, I have the peace of God. Second Peter 1, 2 tells us, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Those who love God's law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Psalms 119, verse 165. For Ephesians 2, 14 tells us that Jesus is our peace. You can say it better than that, come on. Isaiah 26, 3, he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in them. Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace, life and peace. I peace God. Psalms 85, 8, I like this. He will speak peace to his people. It's my favorite verse. And all your, all your children shall be disciples taught by the Lord, obedient to his will, and great a little peace. Great shall be the peace and undisturbed composure of your children. Well, you guys are so excited. I didn't give you the verse. That was Isaiah 54, 13. That was, I love that. Say great peace in undisturbed composure. Most people don't realize that's in the word of God. That you don't have to be sidetracked by the unexpected to hit you like you've been sucker punched and now your whole week and month is thrown off. Someone cuts you off, and now the rest of the day you're angry and mad. No, you can say, thank you, Father. I have your peace. That's great peace. An undisturbed composure. You ought to speak peace over your house. Father, I thank you. You're filling my house with peace. No fear. No torment. Only the peace of God resides here. No fear. No torment. Say, thank you, Father, for your peace. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, 
and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm not asking you to join a church, denomination, or religion. I'm asking you this one question. Is Jesus Christ real to you in a way that you know for yourself that he's real and your Lord and Savior? If you don't, you can. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And everything you do after that is an expression from that relationship, not to earn that relationship. This is your day. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. So if you do not have a real relationship with Jesus, if you're ready to get that sin issue taken care of, if you're ready to lay your head on your pillow at night and know that all things are well between you and God and you're going to heaven, this is your moment. Say this prayer with me from your heart, if that's you. Say, Heavenly Father, I turn to you today. I repent of all my sins. I believe in my heart. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sin, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me. Because I believe that, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, wash me in your blood, forgive me, cleanse me, give me a fresh start. Say, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I ask you right now to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, what I want you to do, I want to speak a blessing over your life, but I, I want to know who I was praying with. We're not here to embarrass you. We're here to help you. At the count of three, if you prayed that prayer and meant business with God, I want you to stand to your feet. You don't have to go anywhere, just stand to your feet, and then we're going to clap and celebrate. Now, some of you are bold and excited, and you'll stand to your feet on anything. Some of you are more shy. I understand that. But what we need in this day and age is not only holiness and righteous living, but tenacity to stand up for the Lord. And so if, we, if it's hard for us to stand up when people are clapping for us, what does it say about our future if we face people that are trying to talk us out of it? We need a strength. The Bible says that we can be strengthened with might in our inner man by the Holy Spirit. We need that strength. We all do. And so I'm going to encourage you to count of three, just so I know who I was praying with. If you prayed that prayer and meant business with God, at the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet boldly. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. Who was I praying with? I said that. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Come on, church. Give me a handcuff. Stay standing. Hallelujah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Stay steady. Five in the, in the portico. 21. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stretch your hands toward them. You lift your hand if you would. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for every one that prayed that prayer and standing to their feet right now. Your word says heaven celebrates every time someone gets saved. So, Father, according to your word, I pray for them. We seal them with the precious blood of Jesus. We curse every curse against them, every demonic assignment against them, anything that's been hounding them for the past years, we break its connection. We break its connection. We break that trail. In Jesus' name, it will no longer bother them. 
We loose the anointing of God. And Father God, let them be strengthened with might by your spirit in the inner man. We sanctify them into the family of God by the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that. And everyone shouted, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Come on, church. Give them a big hand clap. Hallelujah. 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 I love